Matthew 21 is where we'll be reading from in just a moment. I'd like to thank each of you for being here, for uh, your attendance with us, especially those of you who are visiting with us. Uh, it is always a, a great blessing and honor to have, have visitors here with us. And I knew this morning when I woke up, and I put my belt on, and I tightened it to the very last notch of my belt that it was going to be a good day. Uh, I didn't realize how good a day it was going to be, though. I was uh, very encouraged um, today when I, when I saw Sister Paula's face, when she saw the Douglases walk in, and her surprise, it was my surprise as well. It's so good to have them visiting with us here this morning. So good to have uh, Tom and Patty Edwards visiting with us. I know some of you all probably know Tom and Patty. Some of you know them as, as, um, as relatives as an aunt and uncle, I know them as, as a longtime friend and loving brother and sister. I was so uh, thankful to get to spend some time with Tom earlier uh, last week, and so to see him again today, him and Patty both with us, that is a, a great blessing for me. But today is a great day, not just because of those who are with us, those who have, that we love, those who are, are, are so close to us, and, and those that we like to get to know better. Today is a great day, as Ronnie called our memory back to, because the Christ, Jesus, died for us. He gave His life so that we might have hope of eternal life and have the opportunity not only to remember that, to reflect on that today, but to recommit ourselves and redevote ourselves to being examples of that to this world around us. That's what I want to kind of think about this morning and maybe think about it in a bit of a, a different sort of way. We've been talking a little bit about the parables of Jesus and last Sunday, we talked about Jesus' parable in Matthew 21 regarding the two sons. And we have to remember the context of these parables. Why is He speaking these? A lot of times, His parables are in response to questions that His disciples ask. Want to know what He meant by something. He would give a parable showing the, the, the nature, the, the example of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Here in this parable um, that we're going to read, in the parable that we read last week, the parable of the two sons, He's not doing that. In fact, he's doing the opposite of that. He has been questioned by the, the religious authority of that day. They say, where did you get your authority? If you remember, he's just come into the city of Jerusalem. He has had that triumphant entry. He's made all of these, these prophecies. He overturned the temple, uh, the, the, the money changers in the temple, and basically shut it down for the day and told them all that they had turned it into a den of thieves. He was telling them, judgment is coming on you for the wicked things that you've done for the way that you have been acting when you should have been being a light, a beacon to the world to draw them to God and to His forgiveness, you've been doing just the opposite. And so they come, they say, who gives you the right to say these things? Where do you get your authority? And instead of answering their question, he begins by saying these two parables. The first one, the parable of the two sons, and what we'll talk about today, the parable of the wicked vine dressers. And the question I want us to think about as we study through this is, are we... Could it be possible that we could become wicked vine dressers ourselves? This is a vivid description of sinfulness in that day, especially amongst the leaders of that day, the people that had every reason to be showing the world and showing those people around them what true religion looked like. This is a vivid description of how they had rejected the Son of God in their lives. So I want to begin by reading this and we'll make some follow-up comments. Let's look together. <clears throat> Let's look together at verses 33 through 46. It says, Here another parable. 
There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but to, him, but to whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now the chief priests and Pharisees heard, this, heard his parables. They perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet." This is one of these parables of Jesus. And I, I really enjoy the parables of Jesus like this one that make their, their purpose and their meaning very evident. It doesn't leave a lot open for us to try and say, well, I think this means this or I think this means that. The meaning of this parable and the items of this parable are, are pretty clear. First of all, we have a vineyard described. <clears throat> and throughout history of, of Jewish culture, of, of Israelite um, prophecy and prophetic and figurative language, the vineyard most oftentimes refers to the nation of Israel. But I want us to note especially that it's more than just this political power of nation. If you flip back over to Isaiah for just a moment, we'll be jumping back here to Matthew. But back in Isaiah, listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 5. Isaiah is, is relaying this message of God to the people. In chapter 5, in the first seven verses, he's, he says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. Now as you read through there, he's going to describe that, that, that vineyard. He's going to talk about the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the men of Judah. But listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Or maybe your translation says a, a wailing. It's more than just the political nation of Israel. More than just the nation of, of the Jews. It's the people, the hearts of the people. He says, this is my vineyard. At least it should be. But what we also see is that it's a people that have been given a special privilege. They've been given an opportunity, an advantage, and they were a chosen seed to bless the world. Later, Jesus is going to explain that this vineyard 
is going to be given to a nation producing its fruit. But it wasn't just one nation. He wasn't giving it to the Greeks, to the Romans, to the Parthenians. There wasn't one nation that He was giving to. It's still to a people that will take up that mantle of having a special advantage and opportunity to be seed bearers of the chosen seed. And so we see the vineyard representing this people. We see the landowner, and that is quite clearly in this parable a representation of God. You see wicked vine dressers, and here we see a a representation more so, kind of, you know, the vineyard being the people. We're going to zoom out just a little bit, or actually, I should say, zoom in a little bit, and see that these are the leaders. The vine dressers are the leaders of these these people, this, this people that should have been reflecting God in their lives. These are the people that are directing them as to what they should do. But that would also include those who who follow after those leaders, who set them up and say, that's going to be my leader, and I'm going to follow them. They as well could be seen as these wicked vine dressers. The servants that are pictured is a very clear picture of the prophets that were sent time and time again. People who came on behalf of the Lord to bring a message to, to the people saying, listen up. God is going to bring judgment upon you if you continue walking in this manner. Throughout all of the prophets you see over and over again, God is pleading with His people to turn. To turn back to Him. And that doesn't end in the New Testament. In fact, in the next couple of chapters, Matthew 23, you hear Jesus once again, He's pleading. And in fact, at this point, He's kind of crying out. In verse 37, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And then the last picture that we have in this, in this is the Son. Of course, there's a very clear picture of Jesus Christ as the landowner's Son. So this is kind of the, the items of the parable, but we see an, a, a, a purpose behind it. And intent. And that's not really made clear by just the parable itself, but it's made much more clear when we get to the questions that come up afterwards. When he says, What will he do to those vine dressers? and their response to that and that conversation they have. And that's to help us to see something, it's to help them to see something. And that is that God is just, or God is justified in His action against these wicked people. In bringing condemnation upon Israel, as He is going to do, as He's currently doing right now, but it's going to be physically fulfilled in 70 AD, He's bringing this and He has every right to do so, but also in giving the blessings that Israel, that Israel had to those that are more deserving, as verse 43 talks about. He is justified in doing that as well. Because He has been trying to get fruit out of these people. And they have not only turned their back on Him, they have stoned and killed His messengers, and they are fixing to kill His Son. He has every right to look for some other worker for His vineyard. So their rejection of Jesus also, that He foretells in verse 42, it's also foretold in other passages. And the one that I love that He brings up is Psalm 118. He quotes Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23 saying, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in my eyes. The reason that I love that he quotes that is because if you flip back to chapter 21, 
and you read around verse 9, it says the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Any guesses where that comes from? It comes from verse 26 of Psalm 118. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. These people, just a few days before, had heard Psalm 118, verse 28, as we know it today, being proclaimed in the streets as Jesus walks into Jerusalem riding on the colt, prophecy being fulfilled. Here comes a great king into his kingdom. And they're proclaiming out this psalm that this is the Christ. Here he is coming into Jerusalem. And now Jesus is asking them, Have you ever read that psalm? Have you ever read the part that talks about the foretelling of you all turning aside from me, rejecting me? In truth, the builders, in, in the way that he uses this, him, this here, are these religious leaders of the nation that said, yeah, we're trying to build a kingdom. We know what Psalm 118 is all about. We're building a kingdom. It's all about trusting God. And we're going to build a kingdom that trusts in God. And we're looking at the stones that we're going to set the foundation for. And you, sir, are not going to be that stone. We're rejecting you. He's saying, not only am I going to be, not only am I a stone, I am the chief cornerstone. You may have rejected me, but God is placing me at the very corner of this foundation, and everything is going to be keyed off of that. And it's that stone in which God is going to build something new, something you guys can't even fathom at this point. The church, and with you will see both Jew and Gentile living as fellow citizens, as family in the household of God. And so in, in elaborating on this stone that the builders rejected, Jesus is revealing then that there's consequences that are coming for you. Because you have rejected Me. Because you are the, the evil vine dressers that are not only uh, in, in days past rejecting the servants of God, going as far to kill them, you're rejecting Me and you're going to go as far as to kill Me. There's going to be terrible consequences. Verse 44 goes on to tell us. Another way of saying what he says in verse 44 is all those who reject Christ, all those who are opposed to Christ are destined to be destroyed. They're destined to fall. They're destined to fail. And they're destined to be pulverized as he describes it. To be crushed. They would not trust in the Lord to be saved. They would not trust in the Lord to be brought into His kingdom that He came to establish. And because of that, they are being condemned. The main point that Jesus is bringing in this lesson could maybe be summarized in the words of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 in verse 12 <clears throat> says, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. That idea, kiss the Son, that's an idea of, of, of give respect. You would see when some mighty, mighty king came, in, came into the land and you're, you have the opportunity to meet him, you might bow before him and kiss his hand, kiss, kiss the, the rings, the, 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 the emblems of power that show he is of might. When he says, kiss the Son in verse 12, he's saying, pay homage to the Son, respect the Son, revere the Son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. These guys did not pay homage to the Son. They didn't pay homage 
to, to the king when he came into his land. They didn't trust in him. And his anger was going to be poured out upon them. And so obvious was this parable that Jesus told. You know, so like I said, sometimes the parables are hard to understand. Sometimes it takes a little bit of digging. So obvious were these two parables. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew who, they knew what, and it filled them with fury. They're ready to arrest him. They're ready to kill him right now, but they can't because of fear. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid of what they would do. And what we see Jesus doing in these parables twice now is stripping these people of their power. We talked about this in the book of Mark, that Jesus is described in the book of Mark as the great source of authority, power, control in His kingdom and throughout His world. That's exactly what's happening here. He is ripping them of their power. You think you're the ones that get to choose what stone is going to be the foundation of this kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you, not only do you not get to choose that, because you're rejecting the stone that God has chosen, but you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be condemned because of that. He's ripping their power away to say, we're the ones that are right. We're the religiously minded. We're the ones that you should be following. And now they're stuck in a rock and a hard, between a rock and a hard place because He's ripped that power away. And now they're looking and they want to do something about it and they can't because they're afraid of losing even more power because the people hold Him as a prophet. This is the situation at the end of, of this parable that we, that we get left with. And it makes me pause to wonder that question that I asked at the beginning. Are we or can we become... Wicked vine dressers. It's the application of this parable for us today. Is to look at this and say, is this something that I have become or that I could become if I'm not careful? And there are great applications. And the first thing that I want us to notice then is that God is of the business of giving wonderful, wonderful privileges, bestowing wonderful privileges upon people of this world. That is true of Israel. He gave wonderful privileges to Israel. He says, Israel is going to be like a precious vineyard. And you remember, when they go into the land of Canaan, what do they come out with? They come out with the report that it is a good land. It is full of land that would be profitable for planting gardens, for growing crops, for raising animals. They say it is flowing with milk and with honey and the grapevines. Two men have to carry a cluster of grapes. And he says, I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to plant you in that land. Israel truly is going to be a vineyard of God in the land of Canaan. He says, I'm going to run the Canaanites. I'm going to run your opposition. I'm going to take care of that. You just have to go in and do it. You have to go in. I'm giving you the land. You go fight for it. And then he says, I'm going to make you a nation. Let's go back a little bit further. Let's step back before that to the time of Egypt. He says, I'm going to draw you out of Egypt, make you a nation, give you laws, give you priests, give you, <clears throat> give you special privileges that come with being a nation that is, is representing me to the world, has me as its God. And even throughout all of this, He's telling them, not only am I going to do all that, I'm going to eventually give you a Messiah. I'm going to give you my Son. My only begotten Son will come and be the Emmanuel. God with us. God gave amazing, mind-bending, wonderful privileges to Israel. And God gives amazing, mind-bending, wonderful privileges 
to us today as well. We have received wonderful privileges of God. We enjoy free access to the Word of God. Unprecedented access to the Word of God compared throughout history. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew 13. Think about what He says in Matthew 13, verses 16 through 17. He says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. Now that was true in his day. He's saying the words that I'm speaking, here it is, God standing in front of you talking to you, and people wanted to see this. They wanted to hear this. Prophets and kings, they desired this and begged for it, and they didn't get it. You guys do. But take it a step further. Not only do we have that, we've got it, we've got it bound up for us. We've got it all in one place. We've got it in our homes. We don't have to go to the synagogue. We don't have to spend a lifetime supply of money to try and own a copy of that. We go down for 14 bucks at, the, at, at Ollie's and buy them all day long. Not only that, we've got every version that you can think of in our hands, in our homes, at any given second. We have a great privilege that so many people the world over, how many Christians in the first century would have loved to have their own copy of Paul's letter to the Colossians, to read and to study and meditate on whenever they are needing to be reminded that Jesus is the one that matters amongst everything else. The letter to the Hebrews that over and over says, don't give up. Christ, He's above all of these things. He is your brother, your brother and He is wanting to be your perfect sacrifice, your perfect temple, your perfect spokesman between bringing the message of God to you. Don't give up. How many Christians would have loved to have had their own personal copy of that? Copy of that. We have great blessings today. We are blessed to hear these things and, not to, and to hear them without fear. Now you talk about things that have changed in, in, over the centuries. That's one that hasn't. There are still places in this world today where they not only don't have this, if they get it, they have to fear being found out by it. If I'm caught with it, what will the government do? What will my family do? What will the, the, the city do? Will they stone me? That still happens today. Will they take me out and kill me because I've got the Word of God in my possession? Because I believe the Word of God. We have great, great privileges. But the second point is people oftentimes abuse, misuse, and make bad use of these privileges. That's seen clearly in the history of Israel. It's a nation established by God, and yet what did they do? They complained. They murmured. He brings them out of Egypt. In class today, we had, we had a question. Of, uh, um, I think the question was, uh, what did the people do when God made them go around the land of Edom? And there were two, two choices. Uh, and, and I don't remember what the other one was, but one of them was complained. And murmured. And Faith said, is it complained and murmured? I said, yes, it is. She goes, that seems to be the safe answer when you're talking about Israel. I said, you're absolutely right. That is the safe answer when you're talking about Israel. If one of the options is complained and murmured, that's probably the answer to go to because that is the way they are. That's how they identified themselves. 
There's a bunch of people that complained about everything. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough water. We don't like the food we have. We don't like that we have to, that we have to walk through the wilderness. We don't like that we have to go and fight this land. We don't think we can fight this land. There's giants in there. There's all these things that are going wrong. Why are you bringing us through here, God? And Moses, why are you doing this? Constantly murmured. And what did that lead? That led to a people that end up in Canaan and constantly turn away from God. Over and over again, the cycle repeats of people that turn from God, an army or, or a blight or something is brought in to prick the hearts of the people. They cry out to the Lord. A judge is set up to, to draw them back to God. And they repent. And then they do it again. Over and over again, they misuse the blessing of being brought out of Egypt, being given a land. They demand a king because they want to be like everyone else. The king is constantly turning the hearts of the people away from God. Prophets are sent saying, turn back. And what do they do? They prosecute them. They kill them. They reject the son that's given to them. They misuse and abuse the privileges that they are provided with. That's Israel. What about us? The blessings that we are given. We have forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Christ. We have been given the Holy Spirit to aid us in putting to death the old man, in knowing God's Word, in being drawn closer to Him through obedience. We have been given the joy of a fellowship. How oftentimes do you think about that? Do we think of church as, as a requirement? I've got to check that off. We think of that coming together to worship as just something that we have to get done a couple of times out of the week. Or do we see it for what it is as the joy, the blessing that God has given us to be together and to encourage and lift up one another. To be a part of one another's lives, a family. What about the sharing of the Gospel of Christ to a dying, lost world? That's a blessing. Do we ever abuse those blessings? I do. I have. I know that I have. I think if we're honest, we would all say that we have, we have been given the Word of God and it sits on a shelf. It sits on a coffee table. We've been given the opportunity to pray to Him, to open our hearts, to go boldly, as the Hebrew author says, before the throne of God, and yet, what do we turn to for help? We turn to the world. We turn to self-help books. We turn to everything else before we will go to God as that last-ditch last effort to try and say there's something that's not working, I need something else. We set up other things before assembly to come together and be with one another and to worship one another, or worship God with one another. We put other things before going to the lost because we don't see those things as privileges sometimes. And because of that, we don't do those things, we, we abuse those privileges. I think it's just as easy to see that we not only are blessed with great privilege, it's just as easy to see that we're often guilty of not making good use of the great privileges that we're given. And so the last point that I would bring up on this is what happened when Israel abused their privileges. I don't think I have to put an and us underneath there. I think we can all see where that's going. The nation of Israel is the example Forty years they suffered wandering in the wilderness. What should have been maybe a one-year journey turned into 40 because they complained, because they didn't regard the privileges God had given them. He allowed neighboring nations to be a thorn in their side. Why? 
Because they didn't obey. They didn't enjoy and, and take use of the privilege He had said. Say, I'm giving you this land. You drive everyone out. They endured Assyrian and Babylonian captivity because they turned their hearts away from God to other gods, to, 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 the, to, to idols. And eventually, the Babylonians destroyed the temple. The Romans destroyed it again in 70 A.D. And the religion of, of Judaism, as God has been saying for, for so many years, is finally judged and destroyed. When we read about the temple and not a, a stone left on top of itself, we need to also see that what the temple stood for. The religion of the temple. The Jewish religion of sacrifice and, and priesthood and, and the way that we approach God is not going to be st left standing stone upon stone. It's done. It's wiped out. That's the judgment that comes upon a people who abuse the privileges that God has given them. Now if He would do that to the house bearing His name, the temple of God, would He do it to His church? Would He do it to the people that should have such great privilege today but abuse those privileges? I want you to consider the, a few words on that. John 15. John 15 verses 1 through 2. <clears throat> Listen to what Jesus says there. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You notice where those branches are? The branches are in him. Every branch in me that's a part of me that's plugged in to the source, the branch, the root. He says, Every branch that's not bearing fruit in me. Is going to be cut off. When you turn over to Revelation chapter 2, over and over again, in these next couple of, of, of chapters of Revelation, these letters to the seven churches of Asia, what do you find? The same thing being said. Verses 4 through 5, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. He's saying, church, he's talking to churches here. The people, the, the, the collective assembly of the saints that were there in Ephesus. He's saying, y'all keep it up. You don't turn back from what you're doing. Judgment is coming. He says the same thing in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These things says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Over and over again, he's saying, I still look to my people and I see whenever abuse is happening. I see when people are not being faithful to me, when they've left their first love. Now I want you to consider what the Hebrew writer says to those Christians, to the Hebrew Christians who would continue in sin. He says, For if we sin willfully, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a, fearful, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will de devour the adversaries. <clears throat> over and over again, Jesus is telling us, His apostles are telling us that if we're going to continue to abuse, if we're not going to hear the warnings of God's servants, 
like the children of Israel that, that refused to listen to the prophets, refused to listen to Christ Himself, but just walk in our way. And we're going to do how we want to do. Then we should not be surprised when judgment comes upon us. God will take away the blessings that we have. The kingdom of God in this sense. Our salvation. He will take it away, but He will give it to those who appreciate it. Those who will be willing to bear fruit of it. And I want you to remember as we wrap this up, the response of the religious people. These are the religious people of Jesus' day. The people that everyone... You say, show me someone that's serving God. They're going to go to the Pharisees. These are the religious people of the day. Remember their response when Jesus spoke these things. They wanted to arrest Him. Jesus has just exposed them as sinners. And they didn't like what He had to say. They didn't like what he was, where He was taking this to. They were deceiving themselves to, to, to think, no, this can't be true. This can't be about us. You're a blasphemer. We've got to do something about you. And so they didn't listen to the very words that could save them from where they were. And we like to say, now, I'm not like that. I would never do that. If Jesus was, was pricking my heart, I would never say, well, I'm better than that. I don't do those things. I trust in the Lord. I never ignore my spiritual condition in life. But I want you to think about this. Are there messages from God, whether given here in the pulpit or given as you study the Bible on, on your own, are there messages from God that you are actively refusing to accept today? Are you failing to bear fruit? That's ultimately how Jesus pictures this. This refusing of Him, refusing to walk in His way, refusing to set Him as, as Lord over your life. He says that's, that's failing to bear fruit. Whenever we read in Ephesians that God says, Husbands, you love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Give yourself up for your wives. Are you doing that? Are you bearing fruit? Wives, when you read in the very same chapter that you are to respect your husbands, you are to submit your, to your husbands as to the Lord, are you doing that? We have to ask ourselves, are we bearing fruit? Children, are we obeying our parents? Are we bearing fruit in that? Parents, are we training up our children? Are we bearing fruit in that? We read over and over again, <coughs> excuse me, be angry, but do not sin. Be transformed and not conformed to this world. Do not neglect the assembling of the saints together. Over and over again we read these passages and we need to ask ourselves, am I bearing fruit? Or am I rejecting the Word of God? Am I taking the wonderful privilege that has been given to me to have in Christ and am I squandering it? And the last passage that we'll think about with that on our mind is Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 is such a beautiful passage because Paul has went to the Gentiles and he's explaining to them. He's explaining to them the, the great privilege you have because Israel rejected God. Not that that evil thing happened and you should be proud of it, but because it happened, because they rejected Christ, do you know what's happened? The, the, the kingdom has been open to you. What a wonderful blessing you have. But then we get to verse 21. He says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, that's Israel, God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. 
Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity. But towards you, goodness, if you continue in His goodness. If you continue in His goodness. Otherwise, as he wraps that up, you will also be cut off. Paul's telling them the same thing that, that, that we're talking about, that Jesus is saying to us today. We have a great privilege that's been given to us. We can become wicked vine dressers. We can become just like the Israelites in the wilderness, in Canaan, in the day of Christ when they crucified Jesus. What I hope for each and every one of us is that what we will do with that information then is be spiritually honest with ourselves. Am I bearing fruit for the Master? We need to answer that question for ourselves. Am I bearing fruit for the Master or have I possibly forgotten who the Master is? Trust in the Lord today. That's the message that Jesus is trying to get out to these people that they're just not having. Trust in the Lord today. Remove the things that distract you. Remove the things that are hardening your heart and causing you not to come to Him in submission and obedience and in faith. And begin to walk not as wicked vine dressers, but as vine dressers that take the great privilege of being in the kingdom of God and bear fruit with that. We're going to sing in just a moment, number 348. Don't let this song describe you. It's almost persuaded. Build upon the words of this song and be fully persuaded to say, I will be a child of God. And if, having already done so, I will return if there's something that has separated me. We are a family here at Lake Street. And that is what we desire to be. And a family can't be a family if there is, if there is fear, if there is anger, there's bitterness that keeps us from coming to one another. And so our invitation this morning, God's invitation, is to come to Him. Our invitation is to allow us to help you to do that. If there's some way we can, why don't you come forward and let it be known as we stand and as we sing.